Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. We have a King David in the Bible and the lineage that brings us to Jesus. So what about Jesus? His life on earth, the story of salvation for the earth. Jesus, the one who brought salvation to the earth. It all starts with a young woman named Mary. Called to the unimaginable. Her obedience to God, her faith in God, meant that Jesus was able to be born of a virgin and fulfil both prophecy and God's will. Jesus was able to be born of a virgin, fulfil prophecy and God's will because a young woman asked to do something we couldn't even imagine, said, I am your servant, may it be unto me as you have said when the angel came and spoke to her. However, the message this morning, my message this morning is not really about women or just about women, or mothers even. My message this morning is about the impact that one generation can have on another generation. It's about the mark that one generation can make for God, for Jesus, on another generation. That's what the message is this morning. See, if you know God at all, I don't need to convince you how much women matter to God. I don't need to stand here and give you a message about how much women matter to God because if you know God at all, you know the worth and the value that God has put on women and on womanhood and how it was demonstrated throughout the life of Jesus. So this morning, I want to talk about one generation to another generation. So how do we impact another generation? Now, I didn't phrase this question as what do I have to do to impact another generation because we already are. We are already impacting the people around us. If you're a parent, you are already impacting another generation. If you have anyone younger than you in your life, you are already impacting another generation. Every one of us is making a mark on other people. Every one of us is an influencer in some certain way. Every one of us is impacting other people. So I don't ask the question, how do I do that? You are already doing that. I ask the question, what is it? How are we impacting the next generation? How are you impacting the people in your life that you are influencing? How are you impacting people who are another generation that God wants to raise up unto himself to bring the salvation story of Jesus to the earth? You see, people see who we are and what we do much more loudly than they hear what we say. They see who we are and what we do much more loudly than they hear what we say. The Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. If you don't mind me adding to it, I would say, make sure we go that way ourselves. Make sure we go that way ourselves. We can preach at our kids. We can preach at people in our lives. What they are seeing is who we are. The Bible calls us an open book. 
It says that we are the testimony. We are the epistle, sorry. We sang this morning, this is my testimony. So we can train up a child. How do we train up a child? We train up a child by going that way ourselves. Amen? So firstly, what are the things about us that impact another generation? Number one, how we face our problems. The next generation, people influenced by us, are impacted by how we face our problems. We're in 1 Samuel. Let's start reading at chapter 1, the very first verse. It says this, There was a certain man from Raphaim, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Just in those two verses, we see something really actually very significant. You might have thought, why didn't she start reading at verse 2? Why all those names? He's a son of, he's from here, he's son of, son of, son of. Because in the second verse, it tells us, Penina had children, Hannah had none. That's the significance of just those two verses. Lineage was everything. In those times, lineage was everything. What that is showing us is, you don't know who Elkanah is until you know about Zuth and Tohu and Ephraim and blah, 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 and this place and that place. Once you know that, you know who Elkanah is. Oh, and by the way, one of his wives couldn't have any children. When lineage means everything. If you want to know who our son Alex is, you need to know he's the son of Jim. Who was the son of Jim? And I'm not sure, was he also the son of Jim? Okay? <laughs> we have broken a generational name-calling. Not curses, generational name-calling. I said to Jim, does our son have to be James? He's like, no. When Jim and I were dating, I would ring the house and say, can I speak to Jim, please? And seriously, the answer was, which one? <laughs> so, and not a joke, seriously. So I'm like, he can be a middle name, but no, we've even moved away from that. You want to know who Alex is? He's the son of Jim, the son of Jim, the son of Jim. She had no children. In a time and a place where lineage was everything, she had no place in lineage. She had nothing that gave her a place at all in anything. And in fact, in those days, if a woman couldn't have children, she was considered cursed by God. So Penina is considered blessed by God because she has a bunch of children. Hannah has no children. So other people would have looked at her and said, God has cursed her. So what happens in a, in a group of people, in a society, in a culture where we worship God, where God is the one who either blesses or curses and those he blesses are the good people, those he curses must be the bad people. If you're the only person or one of the people that can't have the children, therefore you are cursed by God, what happens to you in your friendship groups? What happens to the way you are looked at by everybody? What happens to the way you live in that society? You're a cursed person. That's all they can see is that you are a cursed person. And in fact, in those days, a man had grounds for divorce if his wife couldn't give him children. So this is her problem. She has a major problem. She's living in a society where lineage is everything. She can't have a child. She's living in a society where 
where people say, you are blessed of God because you bear children and she can't have a child. Let's have a look at from verse 3 onwards. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. We find out later Eli's fathering wasn't great. So we don't just talk about mothering, we have to consider fathering too. How God wants us to do life in all areas. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her children, which is right, he's a good dad to them all, uh, to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Now because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Penina, the blessed girl, the good girl, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Hannah has a problem and it's going on year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the house of the Lord, her rival, her rival pro provoked her, getting chimps disease, till she wept and would not eat. Verse 6 tells us that the Lord had closed her womb and it says it twice. So what it does, when the Bible says something twice, it's saying, take note of this. It says, the Lord closed her womb, and because the Lord closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her. If there's one thing I have learnt in all my years of following God, is that he who opens doors, he who gives opportunities, also closes them. Also closes them. For his perfect timing and for our protection and our blessing. Now, I look at Hannah in this circumstance, and I call that perceived barrenness. And, of course, the barrenness thing in those days for a woman to be barren, as I've been saying, was a curse. But to be barren means that you actually cannot produce children. But the Bible clearly tells us God closed her womb. So in God's timing, her womb was closed. Perceived barrenness. Everyone looks at her and goes, she's barren. But in fact, God has closed her womb. There's a difference there. See, in our limited human thinking, we find it very difficult to accept something close to us that we want open. We find it very difficult to accept something close to us that we want open. But there are times when God closes a door instead of opening a door when we expect him to. We say, God, I want that door open. And we pray to get that door open. We rebuke the door because it's closed. We push against the door. We kick against the door. All the time not realising that it is God who has closed that door for whatever reason, for whatever amount of time. See, God is doing a work in Hannah. He's doing a work in her faith. He is doing a work in history because he is about to raise up the prophet Samuel. He is doing his work in her life and in history. But this time, the door has to remain closed. He has closed her womb. And in our limited human thinking, we find that very hard. We find it very hard. You know, we pray about the God that opens doors. We pray about the God that makes a way. And we pray these prayers of faith. Do we ever pray about the God who closes a door? Do we ever pray that? 
Just personally, I have learnt to say, God, open the doors you want to open and close the ones I shouldn't be walking through. God, close those doors that you want to be closed to me. When my kids were young, we had a park just across the road and up a path. So if they said, oh, mummy, want to go to the park? Yeah, sure, let's go to the park and play. Because they were little, the first thing we had to do getting out of our house was cross the road. So because they were little, I'm holding their hands. I'm holding their hands because we're next to a road. So one of them might go to step out. And I put, no, no, not yet. I hold the hand even tighter, not yet, because I can see the car coming that they haven't noticed yet. And when it's safe, then I'll lead them across the road. And then there's a path you have to go up. And I don't know if anyone else's children were ever like this, but sometimes the path is boring and narrow. Maybe we could run up the road. Why don't we go on the road? You know, the road is wide. The road is fun. The path is narrow. There's less, less fun here holding mummy's hand and walking up a narrow path. What do I say? No. No. You will not walk on the wide road because I know the danger of the wide road. You don't know the danger of the wide road. So I'm going to keep you here on this narrow, boring path for your own protection and safety. Sometimes God gives us a not yet, sometimes he gives us a no, and it's protection and it is blessing. God is, God is doing an important work in Hannah for her to know him and understand him. And I have found, and I'm sure many here too, you have found out that it's only in those places where the doors haven't opened that we think will open, where everything isn't going our way that we think it should go, when everything isn't happening in the time we think it should happen, only in those places do we find those aspects of God that we cannot learn any other way. We get to know God in a way that we would never know him in any other way. So what does the next generation see about how we face our problems? What do they see when we have a problem? I'll just leave that with you. I won't go further to that. Secondly, they see how we trust God. How we trust God. Let's look from verse 8 onwards. It says this. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Do I not mean more to you than ten sons? Wow, Elkanah, just wow. Very helpful, right? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty... If you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all of his days and no razor shall ever be used on his head. The next few verses there just relay about how Eli thinks that she is drunk because he can see her mouth moving but can't hear her voice. He thinks that she is drunk until she explains the situation. Now come with me to verse 17. Eli answered... Go in peace, may the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. We see two things here. Her husband Eli is a kind man. He's a good guy. He wants her to be happy. 
She's crying because she hasn't had a child. He doesn't know what to say. I expect a lot of husbands in the room have been in this situation. Like, I, this, is, this is a lose-lose, whatever I say, right? Is that true, guys? Well, Jim has been in those situations. Only you, Jim. He doesn't know what to say, so he says something stupid. Eli is also a kind man. Eli wants to make her feel better. The priest wants her to feel good. He also doesn't really know what to say, so he says something encouraging to her. Oh, well, I hope the Lord does what you've asked him to do. May the Lord do that. She has people around her. She has people in her life who are well-meaning, good people, but they're not doing a great deal for her faith and understanding how to walk in faith with what God is doing. But for me, the most impacting part of that whole reading is the last line, the last few words. It says this, her face was no longer downcast. Her face was no longer downcast. Here's a woman with a real relationship with God. Here's a woman who is genuinely has put her faith and her trust in God. Here is a woman who has gone to God in prayer and then walked away with the peace that passes understanding. Here is a woman who has prayed to God, made her petitions known to him, and she has walked away with a different demeanour. Her whole demeanour has changed after she prayed. Now, interestingly, that during that prayer time, we don't get told of any assurances that have come her way. During that prayer time, Eli hasn't come and prophesied to her and said, you are going to have a baby. Don't worry, Hannah, stop crying. A baby is coming, I prophesy that. She's had no assurances. We are given no, no understanding or record that God has spoken to us. She has been given no assurances. And in fact, she uses the word if. If you would do this for me, God, then I will devote this child to you. I will dedicate this child to you. If you will do what I am asking, Lord, I will do this. She uses the word if, and then she walks away from that prayer, and her whole demeanor has changed. She is completely trusting God. She doesn't know if God's going to answer her prayer the way she wants him to. She doesn't know if God is going to do what she has asked. But she prays. And she gives it completely to God. She gives her burden completely to God because the Bible tells us she walked away and her face was no longer downcast. She's walked away and she has peace. What do people see? What do the next generation, what do the people who we have an impact on see when we pray and we have a situation and we don't have an answer? Do they see the peace of God that passes understanding? Do they see us saying, yes, I trust God, but then I'm still trying to take control and manoeuvre things a certain way? Do they see us saying, yes, I trust God, but then they see worry and concern? And you've got to listen to last week's message if you didn't hear it. It was about worry and excellent. Do they see worry and fretting and oh, oh, or do they see someone like Hannah who gave her burden to God, walked away with peace, completely different demeanour. What are we showing the next generation about how we trust God? And thirdly, this morning, and we'll come to a close, just the third, third one here. They see how we serve God in our season. How we serve God in our season. We're going at verse 20. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. 
She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Samuel means God hears or God heard me. God, he God hears or God heard me. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Elkanah says, do what seems best to you. Stay here until you have weaned him, only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. Back in that time, weaning took a number of years. Weaning wasn't what we sometimes think weaning is now. Weaning wasn't just about food. It wasn't just about the child's nutrients, nourishment, whatever. Weaning was actually something that was about teaching the child what they need to know. And it went over a number of years. So what we see with Hannah is, she says to her husband, I'm not going to go out, I'm not going to do other things that maybe we used to do. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to teach my child everything they need to know because I'm presenting him to the Lord. I am dedicating this child to the Lord. So she had dedicated the little boy to the Lord and now she dedicates herself to preparing the little boy for the Lord. She dedicated him and then she dedicated herself. How did she serve God in her hard season? How did she serve God in her hard season? She kept going to the temple and she kept trusting God as she prayed. She was going through a terribly hard season. But in that season, she didn't pull herself away from God. She put herself closer to God. See, you have to remember back in that day, the only place you could connect with God was at the temple. We can connect with God anywhere because the Holy Spirit is here. But back in that day, you couldn't connect with God unless you went to the temple. So even though she would have been looked at as a cursed woman, she may have been scorned, even though the other wife was picking on her and giving her a hard time, even maybe she might have been very unpopular in the community because she hadn't been able to bear children. She kept going to the temple. She kept her heart to the Lord. She kept going and serving the Lord. And then when she prayed, she gave the Lord her burden and she accepted the peace that he had for her, the peace that passes understanding. If you are in a season of waiting, if you are waiting on God, I want to say this, you are not wasting on God. No season is wasted in God. No season is wasted in God. Some seasons are harder. Some seasons are hard to understand. There's probably people here this morning or, or watching online and you're going through a season right now and you don't understand it and you're finding it hard. I want to encourage you, keep yourself close to God. Do what Hannah did. Don't pull back. Keep closer. Get closer. As Pastor Jim said this morning, if we draw near to him, he draws near to us. Don't let the season derail you just because it's hard and you might not understand it. God is working in you. God is working in you. Then Hannah has her prayer answered. She has the baby. She's dedicated the child to God and now she dedicates herself. What is the best season to serve God? The answer is always now. 
Whatever season you are in is the season to serve God. Don't, don't be a person who says, I know that season's coming, and all your focus goes on to another season. Because while you're in this season, God's doing a work in you so that you are prepared for that season. Keep serving God. Keep close to God. Don't pull away from God. Don't ever believe the lie that the season you are in doesn't matter. Don't ever believe that lie. I'm just here wasting, doing nothing. No, don't ever believe that lie. If you are close to God, he's doing a work in you. Don't let the enemy trick you on that. God had a plan to send his son Jesus for the salvation of the world. Jesus had to come from the lineage of David. David was anointed by the prophet Samuel. And who starts that whole story? Samuel's mother, Hannah. That's how it all started. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask the musicians to come so we can have a closing song. I'm just going to pray over all of us this morning. Some of you might be in a hard season. You might be in a season where you're waiting on God to fulfill something that you know he has said to you. You might be standing on one of the promises in the Bible because you're trusting God. I want to encourage you, stick with God. Keep trusting him. Keep thanking him for who he is. Keep serving him in whatever way you can. Keep loving him. Keep trusting him. I'm going to pray over us. And if that's you and you're just struggling in some sort of season, just raise your hand to God. And we're going to pray together and pray a prayer of faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. First of all today, Lord, I say thank you for the mums. I say thank you for the women. I say thank you for the value you've put on every woman. I thank you, God, for what you have put in the heart of every woman and what you are doing in every life in the name of Jesus. This morning, Lord, you see some hands raised to you. People who are in a season and they just want to know what you have for them and live for you in this season. I pray for everyone who needs comfort. I pray for everyone who needs an encouragement. I pray for everyone here this morning who needs to know that you are with them and you are for them and you are standing alongside them. Lord, I ask that you bring supernatural wisdom to minds. I ask you, Lord, that you bring understanding and revelation to our hearts. Lord, I pray right now that you will touch every person here with whatever they need today. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come and have your way in every life, Lord. Lord, I pray for those whose hearts are troubled. I pray your peace. I pray your joy. I pray your comfort. Come alongside us, Parakletos, Holy Spirit, Parakletos, the one who comes alongside. Come aside your people today. I pray for those online who may be troubled. I pray for those who may be in a very, very difficult season. Lord, that we would know what you want us to do and have wisdom in this season in the name of Jesus. Not just look to the future, but serve now. Trust now. Live for you now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.